wasn't sure if we were speaking in tongues and I'm hoping I'm not the one to interpret. But thank you. <clears throat> Before we go to our passage today, let's have a word of prayer and then I'll give a little introduction. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity of opening your word. And may perhaps this morning, Lord, seeing um, what our role is in Christ, hopefully a little bit clearer than before. We thank you for calling us your children. Help us to understand what our ministry really is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> I'm 20 years of age. I've been studying the Bible for a while, and then this is the moment. The big moment of the destiny of my life when Jesus Christ takes control. I don't know any Christians. I don't know anything really about how church is run. And I'm certainly not part of that. I'm just the individual young man finding eternal life. But it didn't take very long after sharing Jesus Christ with my, the world in which I lived to realize that I really needed people that could understand me, people that could encourage me and understand spiritual things. And so I prayed about that. And it was a very, very close father-son relationship. And I think that's often how it is with new believers in Christ. They seem to get powerful, direct answers to prayer very often. And this was no exception. And I said, Lord, there must be people who love Jesus and believe the Bible, all the Bible. And he had a Seventh-day Adventist on my doorstep so fast after that prayer. It was one of the most direct obvious answers to prayer I've ever had in my life. And I eventually asked her, well, what church do you belong to? And she said, Seventh-day Adventist, and it meant zip to me. If she would have said, I'm from planet Venus, it would have been the equivalent for me. It just didn't register, didn't mean anything. I'd heard about Catholics, and I'd heard about Church of England, but never heard about Seventh-day Adventist. But I was kind of open-minded, and as I said, I was really needing spiritual fellowship. What I didn't really understand what spiritual fellowship was, I just knew that there was a void in my life that I, I needed that to be filled by God's people. And so, after months of studying, I eventually visited this Seventh-day Adventist church. Now, this is going to be my education, my orientation into what a church is all about, right? I mean, that's going to happen whether I want it to or not. So, what do I first see? I see that this is a church that's two-thirds Jamaican. Well, I'm not Jamaican. I'm white English. Is that going to be a problem? Well, it's not supposed to be. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, male or female in Christ, right? Shouldn't be a problem. And then I go in the church, and I see a lot of 
spectators. And I see one man up front, the equivalent to what I'm doing this morning. So maybe my own sermon condemns me by the time I'm through. And sometimes I've said I'm kind of working myself out of a job, and I get, get a kind of nervous laughter from you. I really mean it. I am serious. We all should be working ourselves out of a job. But that's another sermon for another day. And so I see this man, maybe one day we have the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion, and I, I see that it all goes through this one man. And that's my introduction to the church. And as capable as this one man is, it's really not a good introduction. It's not the way to teach the new believer. Because what the Bible teaches is that the gifts are not in that one man. That the gifts are where? Throughout the church membership, throughout the congregation. And wherever I've worked, whether it be in the Middle East, in Europe, or in North America, I've always seen this wrong picture of the church. And I see the wrong picture of the church at Anderson right here. And I will do my best, hopefully it won't lead to my crucifixion, but I will do my best to change the thinking of the church because we need to think biblically on this. And in our thinking, we understand the priesthood of believers a little bit. In our practice, we just don't practice it as we should. And this has been a problem ever since the Reformation time. Some of you are reading the book, The Great Controversy. Who's reading that in our congregation? Okay, praise God. And, and some of us are going through that on a Tuesday evening. Now, if you read the section about Luther and Calvin and those sections there, you'll probably pick up some information on, um, on how Luther understood this concept, of, which we call the priesthood of all believers, that it wasn't just the gifts concentrated in one Catholic priest or bishop or pope, but that the gifts were throughout God's people. So theoretically, it was understood, but not practiced. And if you dare say to any Seventh-day Adventist, pastor or church official, that we don't believe in the priesthood of all believers, he'll probably fall, off, fall out of his pew. But in practice, we don't practice it. So that's what I'm going to speak on this morning. What is the correct priesthood? Karen was asking for titles. I came up with four. One of them was, um, are you a Catholic priest? Because what does Catholic mean? Universal. What does priest mean? 
Well, that stumped you. What does priest mean? Servant, minister. It's kind of interesting to play word association games sometimes when you try and think these things through. If I use the word priest, who would be the priest in the Anderson church or the equivalent of a priest? The pastor, but that's not biblical. So I'll warn you right at the beginning where I'm going with this, that's not biblical. And if I use the word laity, who would that be? That would be the people that are not the pastor, right? Right? Again, that's not biblical. Laity, if we're going to use the word laity, it comes from the Greek laos, and it's actually in our text this morning, means God's people. So a pastor, an administrator, a conference president, a general conference president are part of the laity. And they hopefully are gifted to do specific service or ministry, if we understand ministry to mean for all of God's people within what we call the laity. Our text is 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. So take a Bible and turn to 1 Peter 2. Oh, my other title, which Karen liked the most, was Turn Up, Pay Up, Shut Up. Not original with me, but I found it in a discussion of what is the laity. And some of you are reading the book, which I shared in our board meeting, uh, something waking the dead. Okay, some of you have copies of it out there, so read through that book. And in the next few weeks, I'll be, be hitting different parts of that book um, to, to, to take this in a, in a certain direction. Everything that I'm going to teach and the direction that I'm trying to move the Anderson Church is very biblical, very much in harmony with what Ellen White teaches. And the church is so stifled in its growth that they are, some, in some parts of the church, they're more and more open to change. When we talk about growth and when we talk about revival and reformation, I'll tell you folks, according to Ellen White, according to everything I know from the Bible, it can never happen unless God's people take hold of the ministry, until they understand their role in the priesthood of believers. It cannot happen. Listen to this. Gospel workers, the work of God in this earth can never be finished. Do you want the work to be finished? Then you have to cease being a pastor-dependent church, and you have to become a people ministry church. The work of God in this earth can never be finished until the men and women comprising our church membership rally to the work and unite their efforts with those of ministers and church offices. It's very interesting in going through church history to see where did this shift come? As we've worked our way through the book of Acts, and we've spent months doing that, have you been able to pick up what God is doing through His people? It's not just about Peter 
and Paul, yes, they shine brightly on the pages of the book of Acts, but you have to, you have to go past that, and you have to see what God's plans and what God's purposes. How did that early church grow so quickly in such a short time? I'll guarantee it's not because we had a certain number of apostles as important as they were in the work of God. It's because regular church members, the laity, the people of God, who are equipped by God, everyone in the Lord Jesus Christ, which I assume is most of you here this morning, right? You're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? I don't know why you'd be here if you were not, unless you were forced to come. All of you have been equipped by God. That's another word that you're going to be hearing more of in the near future. Equipped by God for ministry, for service. We don't all have the same gifts, and this morning I'm not focusing on gifts. I can do that some other time. But we all have a ministry, a work of service to do. In this passage, 1 Peter chapter 2, what verse did I say? Verse 9. Memorize this text. It's a great text. It's a wonderful text. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2 is pretty much taken out of Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. So take your Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 19. Keep your finger in 1 Peter, because we will be back there in just a moment. But I want you to, I want you to see how the New Testament writers often, the only Bible that they had was the Old Testament for a long time. It took took a long time for the New Testament to be formed. So they're all heavily dependent on the Old Testament. That's why we, as Seventh-day Adventists, believe in the whole Bible. Do you remember even in my prayer, Lord, why, and why did I even pray that unless the Spirit put the idea in my head? I want, I want a group of people that love Jesus and believe the whole Bible, not just picking and choosing and just New Testament Christians. Anyway, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And as you look at this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you'll see a lot of that language reproduced there. I started to write down some words for chosen, and here's what I came up with. I came up with the word elected. We had a discussion a couple of weeks ago in my Bible class on that. The grace of God, 
selected, picked out the object of choice and divine favor. Chosen, elected by God. And people, I came up with race, offspring, posterity, kin, family, lineage, and stock. In other words, if I had to put it in a brief phrase, a new race of humanity. Now, I know you didn't wake up this morning and say, thank you, Lord, that I'm part of a new race of humanity. But you know, when I was praying to God at 20 years of age, that's exactly, without using those words, that's exactly what God was going to lead me to. And he was going to lead me to people who didn't really talk like I talk, and in many ways didn't act like I acted. But the one thing we all had in common was this spiritual connection with God, this rebirth, born-again experience. So in other words, I am with, if they've been converted, I am with family. And, and it didn't take very long before I realized, without anyone spelling it out to me or reading it in the Bible, didn't know any of this, this material that I'm sharing this morning at that time, hey, I've got a new family, and it's a spiritual family. And hopefully that spiritual family will understand their role, role in the priesthood and will encourage you and comfort you and mentor you, disciple you, and build you up in the faith. Now, I know for many of you, because I've talked with you about this, that's not happened for you. And it did happen for me, but it wasn't the pastor that did it. It was a regular part of the priesthood. It was a church member, a Jamaican lady who came knocking on my door. She was the one that the Lord used to bring me into the Seventh-day Adventist church, and she was the one who discipled me. I don't know if she ever thought, hey, I'm discipling this young man. Maybe she didn't. But in practice, that's what she did. And we would go out together, and we would do Bible studies, and I would learn very quickly how easy that was to do and how God had equipped me as he has equipped many of us in this congregation to study the Bible with people and be used by God to introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you like this idea of being chosen? You're not an accident. You didn't evolve from the slime pit. God has handpicked you for ministry. It goes on to say you are a royal priesthood. Now, we were saying earlier in my class that I come from England where we have a royal family. My wife is from Norway. They have a royal family. And the Olympics has just been on the TV. Any of you been watching the Olympics? Just a few of you. The rest of you were being discipled by Pastor Mason in my class on Tuesday night. Well, good for you. 
And it's interesting how the journalists and the reporters and the cameramen zoom in on Caden William. What's so special about Caden William? Well, they're part of the royal family. And every day you and I come to church, and every day we, we rub shoulders with one another, do we ever think I'm meeting royalty? Did you know that we all have blue blood? Royal blood? The same bloodline as Jesus? Well, royal, I put down fit for a king. And then a song came into my mind, and I could actually hear George Bevelichet singing it as I'm writing this down. I'm a child of the king. You like that one? Love that song. I'm a child of the king, and he certainly knew how to sing it. A member of this spiritual royal family, but more than that, part of the priesthood. And I think it's best to look on this, not I am a priest, but I am individual priest, but I am collectively part of a priesthood. So it's like all of those of us that are in Christ, we are the priesthood. And we have different roles, possibly, within that priesthood. Some will have the role of hospitality, the gift of hospitality. Some will have the, the gift of teaching. And when we get into spiritual gifts, you'll see how, how varied they are and how you can have gift clusters, gift mixes. Some people are very good at training other people. Most people are good at, at doing the ministry. Some are better at, at training others to do the ministry. A primary role uh, a primary, primary part of my uh, service here is, is one of equipping, training. So think of pastors that way. Now, it's true, you may get a pastor that doesn't have that ministry mix of training, but hopefully there's somebody else within the congregation, it doesn't, certainly doesn't have to be the pastor, who, who does have that gift mix. So we need to figure out at the Anderson Church who are the ones who are gifted by God to train? It's part of leadership. Figure out where our gifts are, where our talents are. The interview process that we're going through will be a step in that direction. It'll be more comprehensive than what the nominating committee would do. And by the way, for those of you that are concerned about this new method of doing things. Um, maybe you can talk with me privately about that, um, but you can't put the old wine into the old wineskins. If our church is to grow, if the Seventh-day Adventist church is to grow in North America, we have to do things more biblically than we have in the past. So figuring out where the gifts are, going through a process that can do that, and I'm sure there's many ways of doing that, seems to me to make, to make a whole lot of sense. 
And so in the Old Testament, you better not mix up priest and king. And we do have examples of kings who try to do priestly work in the Old Testament, good or bad? Bad, very bad. However, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who of course is our high priest, these gifts, these ministries are put together in your life and in my life. And it's not just Peter that says that. Take your Bible, turn to the book of Revelation. And of course, just reading that text in Exodus, where they did have a specific Levitical priesthood, isn't it interesting that it says the whole nation was to be a kingdom of priests? That was part of God's uh, plan. What book did I say? What chapter? Ah, someone's paying attention. All right, let's go with verse 5 and 6. I didn't say the chapter, chapter 1. It's very elementary, my dear Watson. Chapter 1. One of my favorite passages here. The end of, chapter, of verse 5. To him who loves us. Who's that? What about God? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Anyway, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. We know that's Jesus. And has made us to be a kingdom and priest. There it is. We saw it in Exodus. It's in our text in 1 Peter. Now here it is in the book of Revelation, which probably was the last book to be written near the end of the first century. Made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. All right, what about chapter 5? And I believe it's verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10. Again, we see um, in verse 9, the blood of Christ, the one worthy to open the scroll and open it, to take the scroll and open its seals, the one who was slain, through whose blood we've been purchased. Verse 10, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So there we have it again. And then finally in chapter 20, verse 6, Chapter 20, verse 6. Now, this is what we call the millennium chapter. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the millennium. It's really not that hard if you go carefully through this chapter. But there are a number of parentheses that you need to take note of. What verse did I say? Chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection, the second death, has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So if I put those verses together in my head, here's what I come up with. All the way from Exodus going through Peter and into Revelation, that those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth are part of the priesthood. We have a ministry, a service. It specifically mentions that we're serving God. We're serving humanity. We're advancing God's kingdom, or we should be. No one in this church, in this church family, should be content to be a spectator. All of us should have 
some ministry that is God-given that we can feel fulfilled and satisfied with, and that will advance His kingdom. And all the way through the book of Revelation, that emphasis is there. And the sad thing is, the tragic thing is, as we look in church history, we find that the priesthood, so-called priesthood, hijacked, terrorized who's doing the ministry of God. Priests, bishops, and finally a pope became the repositories of the spiritual gifts, gave them the control, gave them the power, and it stripped the ministry, the gift ministry, away from the people of God. And it made different categories, clergy and laity, artificial, man-made distinctions, not biblical. All clergy, if we're going to use that term, are part of the laity, and they just have a specific role which is primarily equipping, teaching, and so on, uh, the people of God. So there's something on a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Now we have a holy nation. What does holy mean? It primarily means, we sometimes use the word sanctified. So what is holy? What is sanctification? It primarily means to be set apart. So we have a number of things that are spoken of as being set apart in the Bible. It could be the temple. It could be the items within the temple. It could be time, the Sabbath. That's, that's an, an interesting one, isn't it? To set aside time. Which human being would ever think of that? Set a time, time as holy. That's the way the Sabbath is spoken of in Scripture. So these holy things are set apart. So those that are, these believers that are part of this priesthood are called holy, a holy nation, set apart for a special purpose, which is, as I understand it, to serve God, to serve humanity. A people belonging to God, a new race of people belonging to God, a people for God's own possession, a people that have been purchased for God. I've been doing a study in some other parts of Scripture where it talks of us as being slaves, and some have a real, some of the translations even have a hard time with the concept of slave, because it seems so negative. We're a slave of sin. We're a slave of Satan. Slavery has these negative connotations, right? Pretty much. But that is the term that is used by Paul in a number of places, places that we are slaves of God. I enjoy being a slave of God. I enjoy being incorporated into this holy nation, which, of course, God always wanted that, as we saw from Exodus, with the children of Israel. But when we read the Old Testament, we just see failure after failure, remnant after remnant, because man fails so badly. But Jesus comes along, the perfect man, the perfect Jew, 
the perfect, obedient one, meet, meets all the demands of God's holy law. Prophet, priest, king, all in one person. And the amazing thing is that you and I, people that have been brought from darkness into the light, people taken from the wrath of God, justified by faith, we are incorporated, brought in to this royal priestly family, this holy nation of God, a people belonging to God. And I don't want to belong to anyone else, because you either belong to God or you belong to Satan. There's no one in between, no one sitting on the fence. I know that people think they are. When they're young, they say, well, I'm too young to think about this. Uh, I'll do it when I'm older. When they're older, uh, I'm kind of past it. I'm a little bit too old for that, that kind of stuff. I'm too set in my ways. We belong. There's only two groups, the saved and the lost. We need to make sure that we're in the right group. So here it puts it in terms of belonging, people belonging to God, that you may do what? What is the purpose of all of this? That you may declare the praises of him. Declare, you're a messenger. The word advertise would, would fit here. You're on display, Paul says in another place, uh, before the universe. Those angels are looking in and trying to figure out how the town drunk can become such a saint of God. Declare what? The praises, the virtues, the excellences, the merit of God. What picture are you and I painting with our lives for God? This isn't just about what we say, though that is important. Don't you think so? I don't want to give every, anyone the wrong picture of God. I want to give an attractive picture of God because God is attractive. Ellen White says, allure people to Christ. Most beautiful, charming, attractive person in the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's find the concepts and the language that possibly can fit there. But it's much more than what we say. It's what we live. We're on display. The whole universe is looking in. Sinners on this earth are looking in. You've got family members that don't believe a word of what you believe, but they're still watching you. You're on display whether you know it or not. And if we really appreciate being brought out of darkness into this wonderful light, if we realize that we were not a people, but now we are the people of God, if you have received mercy, and you know that, one of the gifts, if I can call it that, I don't know if I should use that word, but one of the things that God has done for me, He helps me to remember when I was lost. Can you remember that? Do you remember when you were lost? Do you know what it's like to be lost? And those who are declaring the praise of God, they realize that they were lost. They know what they were lost, what they were saved from. 
such darkness, such, such vanity. How do we transform this church family? It seems to me it has to come through our thought processes. And I know if some of you get involved in ministry, that can also change your thinking. So it's not always just the thinking. Sometimes it's the action too. But we've got to realize here at Anderson that churches grow or churches die. They never stay static. They're moving in one direction or another, right? Those that sit on our church board, I talked about five stages from this book that we mentioned earlier that pretty much all churches go through. So I, as the pastor of this church, have a responsibility, not just to you or to the conference, but to my God, to try and guide and move this church in the biblical direction. And from what little I've said about church history, we should, most of us should understand that a pastor-dependent church is not the ideal picture of the children of God. It's too limiting. It's too controlling. That's not what God wants. So if God doesn't want that, why should we? And yet we can clearly see from the Old Testament, not in the text that we looked at this morning, but in other texts, how much they wanted to be like the surrounding nations, how much they so wanted to have a king over them, and what a heavy price they paid for wanting a king but God. So who do we want to be in charge of this church? Who is the head? The Lord Jesus Christ. And what is he doing? He's pouring his life, his energy, through you and me. And that manifests itself in different ways. Some, as I said earlier, will have the gift of hospitality. I don't see myself with that gift. And I've never prayed for that gift. And the Lord has never laid that burden on my heart. He gives me a wife who has that gift. Okay, God, that'll work. Whatever, whatever is needed in the Anderson Seventh-day Adventist Church to advance God's kingdom, I believe if we're open, God will give it. We don't have to sweat about it. We don't have to do it in a mechanical way, in an artificial way. We have to wait on God, and we have to believe that he is working amongst us. And though he might take us in a, a different direction than we are, or take us out of our comfort zone, so be it. I would never be here in America right now if I wasn't willing to um, get out of my comfort zone and take steps of faith and just to get to this country. Let's wrap this up and pray to God. Father in heaven, the words sound too good to be true that we are your chosen people, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a 
people belonging to you, brought out of darkness into your marvelous light, once not knowing your mercy, but now tasting and seeing that the Lord is really good. Lord, bless your people. Help us to be of one mind, which is your mind, to have the mind of Christ. And Lord, may we never, ever say again, oh, I'm just a layman. Because Lord, that's the most glorious thing we can ever be, as we're part of your priesthood. Help each person here to fulfill their destiny, to fulfill their potential is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.